0: I'm good. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad you like each other. That would have been awkward if you didn't, right? That would be really weird. <laughs> um, I also want to just extend a greeting and a welcome. My name's Peter, as was mentioned, and I'm the pastor here at St. Andrews. and. Uh, Uh, the thing that I'm most excited about is not that feedback, so I, um, but, uh, just this opportunity today, uh, to see, uh, the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, where he prayed for the unity of the church, um, to be made visible in our midst, and if it takes a Super Bowl to do that, I'm cool with it, you know, whatever it takes, <laughs> but, uh, It's been just a really wonderful relationship uh, with your leadership mainly because I don't get to attend your services, but um, we've just been so blessed to have Coastline as a part of, uh, you know, what's going on here at St. Andrews and and using the space and uh, just meeting with them and doing planning, learning from them, and and just sharing our, our love of Jesus collectively together, working towards building the kingdom together. And that's our primary mission, right? And and so when we get the opportunity like this, where Jesus says that you know when the church comes together in true unity, that there will be people that will take notice of that. That when we really understand how to love as community, which is very hard, which is what we're getting to next, uh, that somehow if we work all that out, that it is possible that people will just see that, and they'll wonder, how is that possible? Um, how is it that these groups of people that have different backgrounds and personalities can come together to worship the same jesus, and so i 'm just so thankful uh, if you lined all of us up and you asked us all our stories i 'm sure they would look very different and we, we could look very different, but we all have the one thing in common, and that 's Jesus that brings us here and so i 'm just thankful that that God has drawn you here this morning, and I look forward to preaching the message. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? Um, Um, Be with us now. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you uh, have already met us through worship and through prayer. And now I pray that you would meet us through your word. And may it reveal uh, new truths to us, uh, deeper, more meaningful truths, so that we can grow in our discipleship, um, so that we can understand how to be truly unified. Uh, with you, to have communion with you, Father, um, and to have uh, communion with each other as your body, the church. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to follow along. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. It'll be on the screen, or if you've got a Bible, or a pew Bible. Hear these words, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, uh, the things of childhood behind me for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully, even as i am fully known and now these three things remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love anybody hear this this verse before uh, <laughs> this section of verses before uh, there is a great preacher Uh, named Lauren Winter and she talks about how this uh, section of scriptures is actually uh, produced more Christian kitsch than any other section of scriptures meaning that you can buy these words on all kinds of products Uh, maybe some of you have some of these products in your home I just want to show you a couple of them that a quick Amazon can find if that's okay so the first one is like your classic, if we have it on the screen here, your mug and your throw pillow, right? So maybe you enter into a Christian's house. This, this might be an artifact that you find pretty quickly. Uh, and, and no judgment here. That's awesome. That's completely fine if this is in your house. It's not a problem. Uh, a couple more uh, that are out there that you maybe purchase on the next slide here, if we can get that. Uh, you could get a, a, a nice, nice just, just, just cuddle with these words, right? <laughs> just let that warm blanket of these words just wash over you. Uh, or you could get that awesome purple hat. I mean, that is like you mean it, right? If you're wearing one of those, you really mean it. Like love is something you care deeply about. It's just so great. And then this final one I found to be, wow, just push it to its limit. This is a calendar of a dog and a cat coming together. That's based off of the themes of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, So you can see here that life is decorated with these words, right? Like our our lives have these words a lot of places. uh, Maybe it was at your wedding, right? Uh, These words were read. That's all wonderful. But there's a way by which familiarity can breed discontent in a certain way, or at least misunderstanding when it comes to words like these. And so what's important is that we can look at the context of where these uh, words, why these words were written, and who they were written to, and maybe we can discover some of the deeper meanings behind these words. You know, Paul planted this church in Corinth that he's now writing to, and he's just given the church for the first 12 chapters all kinds of red flags and warnings saying, Look, you guys are missing it. You're missing it. Uh, there are so much, uh, so much drama that's taking place within the church. He planted the church. The church grew. He left. And the drama grew really big. So let me give you just a couple examples of the things that he is naming as a frustrated spiritual leader to this church, trying to help them navigate difficult times. Uh, one of the issues that they have is their preference in preacher. So there's a group that loves one preacher, there's a group that loves another preacher, and then there's a third group that loves another preacher. So it's like nobody can get along on who the right preacher is or the preaching style. They're fighting about what clothes to wear to church. Uh, You know, this is something that People fight about, for whatever reason, the right way to dress, the way to to act at church, right? What's the expectation? Maybe today, Coastline, for you, you were thinking, how do I get dressed? I don't want (laughs) to bug anybody today. I haven't been to this church before, so how do they dress at this church? Um, And uh, so they were fighting about that, and they were also fighting about what to eat after church. You know, like what are the right things to eat, and how do we eat, and— uh, those are the small things that were going on in the church. In fact, the big things that were going on in the church is that uh, people were suing each other. Um, and so they were showing up to church, and their agenda wasn't to love each other. Their agenda was actually to learn info about people that they were suing so they could use that against them in court. Or finally, one of the, other, the, the really terrible things that they're doing is there was groups within this church that were sleeping with each other's spouses openly. Okay, and so when when preachers get up here and say we should go back to the early church We're not talking about 1st Corinthians, right? Because this was like a lot of drama right at the onset in the early church In fact, some scholars say that this is one of the most dysfunctional spiritual communities that ever existed I don't know how we would rank them But we can see here that there was a lot of dramatic things going on in fact the chapter before this one Uh, Paul was instructing this church that just because they have spiritual gifts, visible spiritual gifts, uh, that that doesn't make them better than anybody else, and that there is no spiritual gift that should be elevated one over the other or give you a seat of privilege or power or influence just because uh, you have a visible gift that everyone can say, oh, wow, how wonderful is that? And so we see these power dynamics are flaring up all over the place. This drama is flaring up all over the place. So this isn't so much like two loving people standing with the sunset and uh, with all the people that uh, you love and just declaring romantic hypotheticals to each other, right? In fact, one time I was uh, first asked to do a wedding Uh, I was just beginning in youth ministry, but I was the only friend of one of my high school friend's sisters, and we knew each other from going way back, and she asked me to do the wedding. It was going to be a really big wedding, and I was so intimidated that I actually said no because I hadn't done a wedding yet. I needed something a little smaller to start out with. But sitting there, I knew maybe one day I needed to be in the game because I was sitting there listening to the service, and we got to the point where they're going to read this text, they had a pastor that was kind of like a a pastor for hire, and so the pastor for hire began reading this by saying, a great poet once said, and I went, no, the Apostle Paul once said, in my heart, I didn't say it out loud, but There's a sense by which somehow these words have kind of made it into context that are okay if you think about real marriage, but it's not just poetry, right? It's not just uh, fluffy words. This is words that are given that are to bring a community back to life that can't even stand the sight of each other. These are words that are there for a community that is incredibly dysfunctional as a last cure to save them. And so one of the practices I think we could do in light of this truth, maybe is just to rehear the words again within that context. I mean, one of the ways I think we could practice this is to just think of somebody. Maybe somebody that frustrates us. If we're nice, we would say frustrate, right? If we're honest, we might say can't stand the sight of or when they walk into the room, we just feel anxious. We feel upset. We feel frustrated. And, and, and bring that person to mind. I'm going to invite you to do that, to just close your eyes. Bring somebody to mind if you can. It's okay if you can't. Think about that. And then I'm going to read these words one more time and think about them as an instruction to you about how to love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You can open your eyes. Um, You know, one of the things we could say about this text in light of the context is that love is really hard, right? Love can really be terrible sometimes. Love puts us in rooms with people we wouldn't necessarily choose to be in and act in a way that we wouldn't normally necessarily choose to act. And so where does all that come from? I don't think that human beings left to their own devices would be able to come up with this. To be able to think, you know, the thing that we should do with our enemies is to be patient with them, you know, to endure with them. And so we might think, what is the source of this kind of way of Jesus, this way that Paul is giving to this church as they're trying to follow Jesus? And of course, many of you know what that way is. In fact. It's so abundantly clear to us what that way is as we walk into this space, right? As we look at the cross. And we think really what the meaning of the cross is. That Jesus deserved all honor and glory and power and the highest seat in the heavenly throne room, and yet he chose to come to earth to take on flesh and blood not only to just be in our midst as human, but to get down on his knees, to get as low as humanly possible, and to serve humanity, and then ultimately to die on the cross. And here's why this is such good news, that we may have not thought of that. As we were thinking of who frustrates us, we might have been one of those people. I might have been one of those people today for one of you. And we can be hard to love as we look at each other, but the way that Jesus teaches us to be and what he shows us on the cross is that he loves us more than anything. The other day, I was having kind of a frustrating day sorting out some car problems, and uh, my kids, I have a three-year-old daughter, Glory, and a seven-year-old son, Remy, and we were at the dinner table, and they had picked up on this conversation as Katie and I, my wife, are trying to figure out what to do with this car and how to solve this ongoing problem. And so we sat at the dinner table, we prayed our rote prayer that we pray every night, And then they started bombarding me with questions about the car. How are you going to get it fixed? What are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so out of desperation, I defaulted to my Christian way. And I said, you know what, guys, can you pray for me? Uh, Because I don't know what to do. So will you pray with me, Uh, for me, Uh, not with me, for me? And uh, my three-year-old, Glory, got a little bossy, and she said, okay, everybody close your eyes. And then she started her prayer this way. She just said, God, we love you, we like you, we love you, we like you, we love you, we like you, we love you, we like you. And as I was listening to that, it was just this reminder, you know, like probably God in heaven with the Trinity working together is just looking back down on little glory and saying, we love you, we like you, we love you, we like you, we love you, we like you. And and she's pretty cute and doesn't have as many years of, you know, sin in her life. But the reality is that even us, even us, even every single one of us, God looks down and he says, I love you, I like you, I love you, I like you, I love you, I like you. And this is important because love is hard. And the degree to which we receive that message is the degree to which we're able to extend that to the people around us, because it's not natural to us. It's supernatural. And so it comes through receiving. It comes through being able to receive this word. And the good news of that is to the degree to which we will able to do this, it's to the degree to which we will be able to keep it forever. We will be able to just keep this love forever. You see, we have conflicts, conflicts that we create, conflicts that we don't create. Um, But they will pass away. They will go away, and then there'll be new conflicts. Uh, But what Paul's teaching here is that how we love in the midst of those is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that will last. It's the only thing that endures. And so, that doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but it does mean that there's a way in which we disagree. There's a way in which we follow Jesus into the hard things of how we approach difficult messages. And the fact that God loves you like he loves me can be frustrating at times, to be honest, because I don't know everything about you. Uh, But... I know everything about me, and I know that there are things that you don't know about me that only God knows about me, and the fact that he forgives me anyways is just stunning, just stunningly beautiful. And I'm thankful that he does that for you, too. This is a wrestling that uh, is not easy, and so the scriptures speak of many times where Christian leaders are called to bring this message. You can think of Jonah. Jonah. Jonah who fleed where he was supposed to go just because he was supposed to bring this message to his enemies, the Ninevites, to just preach to them. And even when they clicked in and were forgiven, he still felt disappointed. This is a a way in which we see this is with Hosea, called to love the perpetually unfaithful Gomer as a symbol of God's relentless faithfulness and forgiveness. First chance, second chance, third chance. This is the wrestling of Peter, who just didn't want Gentile converts to behave in Gentile ways, but wanted them to behave like good Jews, and so he had to be corrected and have his heart expanded. And of course, Paul, Paul of all people, could really understand this you know, who spent most of his life missing the point. He had lost the plot, right? His religion was there to exclude, abuse, and persecute, only to have a great flash of the awesome love of God, knock him to the ground and strike him blind so that somehow he might, for the first time, truly see clearly with God-given eyes of love. And he writes to this messed-up, unlikable, power-hungry, insulting group of people. And with all sincerity and faith, he can say to them that they can too be trusted with this teaching about love. That there's a second chance for them and a third chance for them that every breath is another chance for them to reconcile with their God and with each other. And it's really the only way forward. This is why this is so important. This is what Paul calls Christian maturity. That when you're a child, you think like a child. You think in black and whites. And, and man, when you get to junior high, boy, are you right. <laughs> right? About everything. But as you grow up, Uh, you begin to learn, oh, there's different perspectives and different people have different stories and they have different reasons for why they make the decisions that they make. And so you realize that your perspective is really one perspective. And there are other perspectives out there, and Paul gives us the ability in this text to claim that reality and walk in humility with that. And to say we only see in part what one day we will know fully. And I look forward to that day. Uh, the writer Sam Wells talks about this, uh, this idea being brought into the context of heaven. And he says, imagine you're on your first day of heaven. And you get there and you enter the pearly gates. And you have this wonderment about how everything is coming together and how everything works and uh, there you walk to this massive table, and you find your name on this chair, and you sit down, and you go, oh, that's my seat in heaven, and you're feeling really wonderful, and then you look down the table, and you see them. <laughs> them? Really? Them? They're here? And then he talks about how there's this tactic that parents use, you probably shouldn't be endorsed, But it's one of those tactics, you know, if you're a parent, you understand where your child won't eat their vegetables, and uh, they're at the dinner table, and so you tell them, well, okay, you don't have to eat your vegetables, but you have to sit there until they're eaten. And dad's going to go over, and he's going to eat ice cream and watch TV, and it's going to be really fun. And once you eat those vegetables, then you can come join the party. This is what Sam Wells calls uh, our invitation, even in heaven, even uh, when we get there, this idea that there'll be people there that God wants us to celebrate with, surprises, because there's all kinds of differences, but God knows our heart, and he knows exactly what we need, and what he's doing is inviting us to celebrate with one another this great truth of his love given patiently wonderfully enduringly without cost and so we don't have to worry about our spiritual resume or being the most impressive because it won't last and it's not the point and we don't get to keep it but if we love each other If we love each other, two churches come together as a great symbol of this love, just in small part. And maybe a more expanded part as we move out into the patio and get a donut and really learn each other more. But this is the movement that God draws us into, this coming together instead of falling apart. And so I'm thankful and I, I know that some of these truths I've known since I was a little kid, but I have to be honest that right now they feel like, like a lifeline. Like this is what's going to get me through. And if that's true for you, then I pray that uh, may it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may it be so for you that you would receive and give the love of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross so that you would forgive us, so that you would heal us, you would renew us, and move us into deeper uh, discipleship with you. May we walk in your way. Uh, We pray, Lord, too, for our neighbors, Lord, that aren't in this church, in our churches, Lord, but so desperately uh, need this love. And so make us the type of people that can extend it even to them, Lord, um, and to give us opportunities to do just that. And may you be glorified as we uh, worship you and then as we go from here. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.